You're not getting this one, Troy. You have to be here live. In a world overrun with an infinite amount of universes, originating from a plethora of sources, a group of longtime friends band together and try to make sense of it all and present it to an audience in an easy-to-digest podcast. This is Geeking Off the Page. Greetings, geeks. Welcome to another episode of Geeking Off the Page. I'm Mike. I just woke up. And I'm Trevor, and I've been awake for a long time. So What's been going on? Oh, God, it's been a week. Um, I'll let you start with Knight Rider, because I know you're aching, too. Honestly, it's just plugging along. It's still fun. We haven't been watching as many episodes as normal, but I'm still saying it's better than anything in the MCU, better than anything on Disney+. Plus. It's just good, fun, wholesome family entertainment. You know, I like the serial nature of it. I like the fact that every episode he's got some new mission or some new problem he's got to deal with he drives through town and gets pulled into something yeah but we've only watched a couple episodes because the sons have been wanting to try some other things so spy family they've just released a few new episodes and it seems like it's a filler season did you ever watch any of the spy family i did indeed Okay, so I was really looking forward to this, but these new episodes are definitely filler. It's just, they're good, like they're fine, but they're filler. So there's that. And then the other anime is Jujutsu Kaisen. I call it Juju Kaiser, but (laughs) it's this crazy martial arts thing. The first episode that my son showed me was the second latest episode. And once it was done, he said, hey, dad, what do you think of that? I'm like, I don't really know what just happened. The <laughs> animation was amazing, but the whole episode was, why is there a panda walking around? What? Who's this guy? Why, why, is there, why is there a guy with one eye that's making volcanoes blow up the city? And why is this guy sending out energy bunnies? It's just a bunch of weird stuff. Cool, but super weird. So last night, he said, okay, Dad, I'll show you an episode that's going to basically show you what the plot is, what the story is, and all this kind of stuff. So we watched episode two of season one, which made a little bit more sense. This is when the main character eats a magical finger and gets superpowers. It's like, well, that's weird. As magical fingers will do. Yeah. And the main character is definitely Kakashi, like a 100% Kakashi ripoff. And my son had told me there's a character in the episode who was so overpowered that the creator realized that and just killed him off screen. So I guess that's the character. <laughs> Went back to his home planet. Yeah. <laughs> Died en route back to his home planet. I don't like this <laughs> character I created. He's dead. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> so yeah, definitely weird stuff, but you know, two random episodes. I'll say the animation's amazing. Okay. So we'll see where that is. Um but as far as TV shows with the family, I think that's about it. Okay. So this week, uh, Disney Plus ended season two of Loki. Oh, I thought you were going to say they ended. Well, no, unfortunately. Um, so they ended season two of Loki. And um, the previous episode ended with like the time loom exploding and everything going to shit. Um, now, this episode starts with Loki time slipping moments before the time loom explodes 
um, and he begins to understand how his time slipping works. So um, he does this whole thing where he decides um, he's going to, he goes and talks with he who remains before Sylvie kills him and discover. And this is, I think kind of where they were like, all right, we know some stupid shits happened. We're going to try to fix it with this last episode and some, and some good writing. And they do, do, I mean, some actual good dialogue, which was kind of shocking. Um, But Loki basically realizes that, um, you know, because he he does this whole thing where he's like, teach me everything you need to know about temporal mechanics. How long would that take? And like, Ouroboros is like, decades, centuries. So he keeps time slipping back and learning more until he knows as much as they do. So he's got this whole thing all planned out, um, a way of so that Victor Timely can get all the way and shoot the thing into the loom and all that. And it all fails. It still all fails. And that's when he realizes this is something that's kind of meant to happen. The loom is an artificial construct that has the limitation because there's no guiding presence. It doesn't know like what timelines to save, what timelines to prune. It just does one or the other. It's like, like a computer, a one or zero. So Loki unleashes the full aspect of his magic and becomes one with the all the different time streams and so the loom up to this point has always been horizontal and somehow when he makes a throne and sits down with all the time streams and is controlling them and and basically becoming the loom the whole thing slips vertically and now kind of looks like a giant tree like the world tree so loki is now this is his glorious purpose is to be basically like a time lord to be in absolute control of time so all of it works harmoniously so that it's not an artificial construct that's streamlining time it's an actual presence doing it which is kind of cool but then also in a way so at least there's a variant of loki that's always alive but then it ends and you're like okay so season three really can never happen this is like the end of loki um, you really can't have this guy pull himself out of the, tr- the the time tree now because it'll die and then things go to shit again. And what's sad is this is the best that Disney Plus can throw at us. Um, and it's uh, disheartening. It's just honestly, it feels like the MCU, they don't know what direction they're going. They have this whole thing with now they're talking about they 100% do not know what they're doing at well, they're, this point. They're, they're trying to because all they're pandering, like the South Park got it right, you know, they've yeah. used the pander well, stone too much. So, and... right now, they're, they're in the process of trying to figure out do we just dump the Kang storyline and go right to Doom? Do we... I heard they did dump it? Did I mean, you hear so... the casting? Reed Richards, Pedro Pascal, like. No, that is the wrong casting. But what I heard for the script for Fantastic Four is it's a movie about Sue Storm. Uh, Reed Richards gets emasculated through the whole thing. And most actors just didn't want to be a part of it. So I, I can kind of see why. Um, so I'm going to jump from there right to... Well, I'm going to go back to Loki for a second, though, because I did watch the ending. Mm-hmm. Because I knew it was coming. I heard all the feedback. I, like, I got to see just this... 
at least the last couple of minutes. So I pulled up some clips online, watch him walk into the space tree and pull all the strands of time. He's sitting there like a peasant in his like peasant Loki outfit. It's not even his glorious purpose, you know, as guardian armor. It's just mm-hmm. his kind of peasant robes as he pulls in the wherever the tree of life essentially. Well, yeah, he basically the tree of time. Yeah. And it everything about that was wrong. <laughs> like nothing landed correctly for me. It, the like the acting felt flat. Because again, there's no buildup for anything. Well, it's there's there's just... nowhere they there's nowhere they can go with this. Exactly. And when this whole Loki series happened, I thought it was great because he just got killed by Thanos. And next thing you know, it's back in time to Avengers, mm-hmm. and he manages to escape. It's like such a great character arc where yeah, the hero it was, it was dies. The time heist like, Loki, who could yeah. who got the thing and got away, and he thought, hey. And then the TVA capture him and then realize, and then he gets to see how his life plays out or how it did play out. And that bothered me because it was, you know, we always say is that you should show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. The show basically told him how he should character develop. And he did. He just watched TV for a little bit and say, like, oh, okay, now I'm a fully developed character. I'm not a psychopath who just tried to murder everybody in Manhattan. Right. And the show could have had a great chance to show him properly be the god of mischief. Like, yeah. what does a character like this do when he he escapes death? Like he cheats it, gets into this weird spot where he can slip through the multiverse. Like, what do you do with a god of mischief in that sort of situation? See, I kind of wanted to super see him fun. constantly on the run from the TVA. Yeah. Like, like him because now he realizes all the different dimensions, slipping from dimension to dimension, meeting other Loki's. Um, and either taking some of their power to fuel his next thing, side shift as the TVA shows up and they're like, well, now we got to prune this universe. Now we got to prune this timeline. And he basically becomes like FBI, you know, number one, like most wanted criminal. You know, he's on Which the board. they sort of set up in that first one with him <laughs> jumping out of the airplane. Uh, what was that character's name? D.B. Cooper. Yes. Like, they kind of set that up. I was like a little meta story within the story. Mm-hmm. That's what it should have been. Yeah. And that would introduce the element frame to come back into the, the Thor universe. And, you know, if they do a Thor five without Taika Waititi and screaming goats, then he could show up and, you know, they could have had a good story. Yeah. And maybe they still can. Maybe he'll just make a, you know, one of his imaginary clones that's still uh, holding the tree and then just, he'll walk out and go do something else. But it, it's just, it's just crazy. And, Marvel keeps doing this where they've been shooting themselves in the foot so much. Like, they're bleeding out. That's it. There's nothing left. Yeah. So, did you watch the uh, edit uh, that, oh, was it Perry Chan from Nerdrotic did the Seinfeld, the the Loki, the show about nothing? Yeah. The Seinfeld music to it with the laugh track. Yeah. And all the scenes work so much better with the laugh track. Mm -hmm. They did. Um, And the thing is, is, so I watched loki on on the when it came out it was like thursday night or whatnot and a friend of mine um had gone to see marvels and diehard sorry yeah diehard marvel fan loves anything with a marvel logo he loves he walked out of the film before it was finished demanded his money back um which is huge for him he's never done that he felt 
embarrassed to do it, but at the same time, like he had to do it. He had to get some sort of compensation for his time, at least get his money back. Did he get his money back? Did he they did. get it to him? The, the theater, it was funny that he said the, the theater manager was just felt because there were a lot of people coming back to get their money back. And he was just issuing refunds and issue. Initially, it was all oh, here's tickets for a different movie. And and my friend was like, no, I, I want my money back. I don't want to see another movie. I just I just want my money back in my account. And they they gave him his money back. Uh, and once that started, it was the floodgates for everyone else to get their money back. Anyway, um, a lot. I mean, I've been reading, of course, there, there's been a lot of um, hate for the Marvels. Um, and a lot of people, oh, it's just just the Internet trolls hiding behind their keyboards and blah, blah, blah. But like the critics have panned it. And initially they were like, oh, well, the the fans love it. Eighty five percent approval rating. And then that has steadily fallen as more and more people see this film and just realize what a giant flaming hunk of shit it is. And the thing that cracks me up about this is when they go after the fans, it's your fault that you don't like this turd that we just shot out. Well, it's because it's, not a- it's like, you know what? If there's people out there who actually like it, go buy a ticket for it then. Exactly. Well, this is like, so it's entertainment. That's what you do. You're creating an entertainment product for all of us to pay money and go enjoy. Exactly. But if it's a good one, we'll do it. And I'm the target audience for this crap. I've got a massive family. I'm a diehard fan. I was one who trained my children to love this stuff. <laughs> and I have the resources where I can drop $200 to go see a stupid movie. But the thing is, you put out crap like this, I don't want to see it. And my kids yeah. are losing interest in all this as well. So, And I, now you look at the box office numbers, and this is what happens. Yeah, well, so the so thing is, is, so I read this thing where the, so the, the, the director, Nia DaCosta, um, has said that, you know, she that people don't understand the target audience she was going for. Um, and I, I look at it as I saw this other demographic of, you know, white males make up 65% of Marvel movies leading up to this film. And the second you say, well, I'm going to narrow my focus of my film, not to that 65%. I'm going to try to narrow it to elements of that other 35%, not that entire 35%, but just small elements. Well, those small elements are not going to make up the amount of cash that the other people that you're kind of pushing away. It's not like people are going to be like, oh, oh, so the, the, like 80% of the people who would normally see this film aren't? Well, I'm going to pay six times the, the amount of money for my ticket to, to make up the difference. They're not going to do that. Um, And you got, you know, Brie Larson, who has said that she doesn't like, she doesn't want to make movies for for white males. Yeah, middle aged white males. This isn't for you. Yeah, this is fine. Not- I won't buy a ticket for that. Yeah. So, and they didn't. Um, and I've heard things of. So this film is, um, you've got three female protagonists, one female antagonist, and um, the antagonist is terrible to begin with. Yeah. Um, and looks then like bad got- cosplay. Isn't that Loki's wife? Uh, yeah. I think it's Loki's wife. Yeah. Um, and the, I think it was the, the thing is there's, um, Carol Danvers is married um, to this, uh, was it some Prince Jan, who is a K pop 
actor who honestly is very androgynous. So it's almost like another woman on the cast. Um, and they they made sure that they, they put a chick in it and make her gay and lame. Yeah, made sure that he is appears so is very androgynous, like could just be one of the gals, sort of thing. This was a hundred percent Nia DaCosta saying, Well, let's make a gal flick in the Marvel universe. Um, and you're sure, I mean, absolutely, you've got you know all the different people cheering in the background. If you look at the the writers, I heard um, that singing planet was from the comic too. Is with the really bad modern Disney all new Marvel comic, but apparently yeah. there was some singing. But planet the thing is, all all three writers for this film are women, so this was a movie for women, written by women, directed by women, starring women. Again, the MCU so far demographic has been sixty five percent of that is male. But here's the thing: is you could do that, and it would be fine if you made a good movie. If Wonder Woman, movie, but the original didn't. Wonder Woman. Was a great movie, like it just was. Yeah, I mean, you could you know talk about the ending and the yeah. But the problem I think with this this film and other films like this is this is someone saying we need this is the female power fantasy without understanding what the female power fantasy really is. And that's Um, a huge thing, is because that's not the female power fantasy. That's that's just women will not show up to the movie because they don't want to be Carol Danvers. Like they don't care. And the the thing is, someone had uh, so earlier today I had talked about something about this. Um, you have characters who are god characters. It's like playing god mode in a video game. Now I've I've played some video games where oh turn on the god mode for a while, but all in all honesty, after about five minutes, it becomes tedious. There's no element of thrill or danger for your character. You turn it back off after a while because you're like. The only time I play a game in God mode is I'm doing more for information. I'm more playing the game as an informative, like, ooh, look at the textures they've used or look at the maps they've made or stuff like this. If I want it to be entertainment, I turn God mode off. Make it a a thrill of dying, a, a struggle to get to these areas, not, you know, just walk through infinite ammo, infinite health, nothing can hurt you. And unfortunately, Captain Marvel is that. All the characters in this film, there's there's never really an element where they're ever in true danger. And the worst part of it is these character arcs for these feminist type movies. It's always, I was always so amazing and you just didn't realize how amazing I was. I'm just being held down by the patriarchy. Yeah. Like that's a boring story. I can do everything better than my male counterpart. Um but I've, they've just either been holding back. But not only can I do it, I can do it with absolutely no training or skill. I just naturally talented. Um, it's been there all all along. But like, if you look I, at something like Superman and Wonder Woman, like both of those characters are godlike power, they're not going to get themselves killed. No, no. But the story is well, how do I help humanity? Like humanity yeah. is killing itself. But not and only I'm trying that, to do the right thing, and there's is, people I care about. And like, how do I help people? That's the fun story with Superman and Wonder Woman. But not only that, it's you have a character that still has a weakness. There's still something that they are not all powerful, godlike too. Right, the Superman Kryptonite. Uh, does Wonder Woman have that? I don't think she does. She doesn't. Well, I mean, in the first film, she would she the bracers were holding her back. It was she didn't realize it, but at the same time realize that with them off she's too powerful 
So she needs that that self-imposed limiter to exist in a world where, you know, she's just not breaking everything. But if you look at like, you know, all these characters that are like the the, the Mary Sue God characters, um, Ray Skywalker or Palpatine, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, you know, Disney keeps churning them out again and again and again. And I, I, I just recently read this thing where Kathleen Kennedy has this whole thing where she has to insert herself into every one of these characters. And yeah. it's not just inserting herself being the strong brunette, but the strong brunette has to take on the character that the, the movie is for, be it Indiana Jones or Luke Skywalker or, so, or Han Solo. And they have to physically do something better than the original character. Did you so, see those Lego studies? Yeah, yeah. That I, was an interesting thing how they did that study because they could not sell lego to the female market because females just weren't interested so they did a whole bunch of psychological studies and they realized that boys and girls play differently if a boy plays with batman it's like wow batman's so cool i want to be just like batman i want to talk like batman i want to know everything about batman Mm -hmm. and they try to embody that character whereas with girls if they played with batman they would do a self-insert they're like, oh, Batman's going shopping today. Batman's yeah. going to the prom. Batman needs some new shoes. Yeah. And it was the self-insert. And then they realized, oh, okay, well, that's the way the female mind works when they're playing with things like that. But you can see that in these movies. It's turning into a bunch of these weird self-inserts. And yeah. you look at Kathleen Kennedy, it's like, yeah, it's like a girl playing with Lego. It's It has to be me. And I have to basically take yeah, well, over the franchise. It was this. It was this great essay. This 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 woman had written about why she feels that a lot of these executives in charge are killing these different franchises because it's not just a it's not a false female power fantasy. It's tearing down the male power fantasy. Um. So, yeah. like in the case of Ray, jumps on the Millennium Falcon, can repair it faster than Han Solo, who should know that ship really well can pilot it better than Han Solo, who's been piloting that ship basically most of his life. She picks up a lightsaber and she takes on a guy who's been trained and and wins. Yeah, Um, Luke Skywalker didn't even use a lightsaber in the first movie. And with minimal training from Luke, she's like stopping lightsabers with her hands and all this other... I mean, that was 100% Kathleen Kennedy showing off, you know, how she feels she could... if, If it was her in Star Wars... How would be a different story? Then you put her in Indiana Jones as you know Jones's goddaughter. First thing she does, she punches Indy right in the face because that's what Kathleen Kennedy. That was the first production Kathleen Kennedy worked on with Spielberg, Indiana Jones, and she. I guess she felt that she needed to be in there and she could do it better than Indy. Again, better than Han Solo, better than Harrison Ford. Now you've got Captain Marvel basically unkillable unstoppable you know in the in the first marvel's film when she got the little inhibitor off her neck and could show up the you know everyone else how just how powerful she was what nothing could stop her she kicked you know kicked the shit out of thanos with very little difficulty it was just it gets difficult for for viewers to watch because it's like that's not again like playing with lego that's not how we play with lego and to go to for me to go to a movie like that, yeah, I'm not going to sit there for you know hour and a half, two hours for a movie like that. It just that's is 
not the movie I, I, I enjoy. And unfortunately, I'm part of that 65% demographic. If I'm not putting money out, yeah, you're not going to have a, some record box office success. And the crazy thing is women don't like it either. Women yeah. don't relate to these characters. They, they would don't. much rather see Chris Hemsworth take his shirt off and be a strong male hero character than to go see this kind of claptrap. Like, they don't care. Yeah. But and would rather be the Black Widow than be one of these characters. And it was, it's also, I think a lot of it's the writing. I, I, I posted a thing um, in our um, Facebook feed um, about talking about two scenes um, basically played side by side. Bruce Banner, for the first Avenger films, Bruce Banner and Black Widow when they first meet up in India and that whole interaction versus. Um, Ironheart in the Black Panther 2 movie meeting up with Queen Shure at that point or Princess Shure, I don't know and just how the different how those two different scenes played out how those characters are introduced it was the first time of seeing Bruce Banner we're t- told he's smart once someone says well you're the leading mind in gamma radiation and then we kind of get some idea of how smart the character is from you know when he sees the girl escaping through the you know leading him on and it's like are we and he quickly susses out you know black widow he is like oh i guess we're alone um and then he fakes her out with the fake anger and she pulls the gun and he's like whoa whoa you know let's not have that big guy come out and and you know she calls off the soldiers like i guess we're not alone then it shows how intelligent he is how much you know he's kind of been through this song and dance before he knows Shield wants him in some fashion. He thinks they just want he want they want the big green guy, and she's trying. No, no, no. Fury wants the your mind, not your muscles. But then you flip it over to the Black Panther too. But you also see Black Widow's fear. Yeah, here's someone who's a master manipulator, and she realizes what she's dealing with. It's like I'm going against like an atomic bomb right here. Yeah, like an I know I'm good. With but... the, the the trigger is kind of faulty, and it could go off any moment. And there's there'd be shit all she could do about it. That when yeah. she pulled that handgun, that was her only defense that, and you could tell it didn't make her comfortable. That it wasn't like pulling that gun. She was like back in control of the situation. If anything, she knew, you know, she, her, her life was a second away from ending. Yeah. The peace shooter is not going to do anything against the incredible Hulk. So when you flip over to black Panther two, that interaction with, with, you know, Riri Williams and, you know, she's aggressive. Um, and there's, there's this whole thing where, they're, you know, the, the, the two Wakandans are talking, well, where are we? We're at MIT. Well, what's the, you know, education level here? Comparable to a, you know, village school. Um, and then you've got like the jock bros at MIT and Riri's doing their homework for, like she's doing their homework for pay. Um, and a lot of people were pissed at that. MIT is not full of jock bros. Jock bros don't go to MIT. Just about 99.9% of the people at MIT are STEM nerds. Um, they don't need people to do their homework for them. They don't, you know, stand around in, in you know, athletic gear and, and be in the whole jock bro thing. And it starts out with, you know, the jock bro's intimidated by her. She takes his phone, swipes his phone. I don't know anyone on this planet that would let someone come up and swipe their phone and start tapping into it. If a woman came up to me and just snatched my phone out of my hand, you can bet she's going to taste the, the palm of my hand right across her face in a heartbeat. 
you know, it's not even like, oh, don't hit women. No, you do something aggressive and violent towards me. I'm going to pay you back in kind. The difference is I'm probably going to hit a hell of a lot harder than you do. I love it when Trevor gets violent. No, it's 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 not that I'm getting violent. It's just disciplining. Karma. Hey, you know, don't grab other people's shit. It's as simple. It's common courtesy. If I if I'm holding something you and you want it, you you be a polite person of it, of society and say, "Sir, can I please have that?" But if you come up and try to snatch it in my hand, I'm going to feed you your own fucking arm. It's as simple as that. You fingers are on the menu. Your fingers enjoy bon appetit because you're about to eat them. It's just <laughs> like you know, Jitsu Kaisen, you might get superpowers. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it's it's you know the, the movie starts off with where her introduction her starts off with her snatching the phone out of his hand and giving herself the money and, and hey it's more than than and basically steals from him and he just accepts it because she's a strong female character um, and it's reinforced again and again and again just how smart she is and when they get to the warehouse and they escape she straight up just kills a couple of policemen and there's no repercussions for that because. It was written that she's a strong female, you know, protagonist. But then we come to in the final fight between Shuri and Namor, you know, she's wearing the Black Panther suit. And she's smart. So, of course, she's the better fighter. You know, ignore the fact that he's been fighting pretty much his whole goddamn life. No, no, she's the better fighter because she's in the Black Panther suit. She took the herb and she's smart. Life doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. I don't care how big of a brain pan you have. If you have no real fighting experience, you're going to get your ass handed to you. I mean, you can think as fast as you want. It's not going to stop that fist from rearranging your facial features. It's really not. Um, something like as part of the, the training I do in Taekwondo is, you know, getting used to seeing a fist or a foot coming at your face and reacting to it. But if you've never had, if you've never taken a like a, a punch to the face, when that fist is coming in, if you have no training as to what to do, your instincts are either going to be cover up or duck. That's it. That's you're not going to be thinking about why well, I'm going to redirect this, take control of the joint, twist and lock it out, and then initiate my attack. That's not going through your mind. What's going through your mind is this is going to hurt. I got either get out of the way or get my hands up and take the the, the hit on the on my arms this bothers the shit out of me it really does so when i see movies that are just poorly written like this and you're like and you expect me to drop like 20 bucks on a ticket for this really and then you get upset at the audience because they're not dropping 20 bucks a ticket to see your shit fest kelly sue DeConnick, she was like one of those troublemaker writers for marvel comics who apparently was a consultant for captain marvel and she had that classic thing was like if you don't like my politics then don't buy my book problem solved jump cut to a couple years later yeah nobody's buying comics anymore i don't understand why and that same mentality is translating into these movies like the mcu it's, it's, it's all over these point. movies um and it's i mean i see it a lot through disney um again you've got Studio execs in power who are pushing their own agendas, be it female, the the, the supposed female power fantasy or the this is not a, a Disney decision sort of bullshit. 
there's too many people that you know who have a say that filmmakers either have to compromise knuckle under but then there's also the group that are you know i honestly when when it was announced that mia da costa was going to be directing the marvels movie and i'm like oh okay so uh what has she done well she did little woods and she did Candyman. okay um and you know she worked as a production assistant working with what uh, Scorsese, uh, Steve McQueen, Steve Soderbergh. That's fine. But her resume as a filmmaker is pretty fucking thin. Yeah. I wondered about the Russo bros when they got hired on, but apparently they did that action sequence in uh, whatever show they were directing and it was done really well. So like they understood the comedy and they understood action and they had a and they little given, proof. You know, if you look at things, if you look at the Russo brothers, their resume leading up to, um, it's, it's pretty extensive. Like before they got Captain America, the winter soldier, they had done pieces. Welcome to Collingwood. You, me, Dupree crashing and then there's a gap of film like that was 2007 seven years of them doing television before they got the chance then to jump back into film and do captain america so there's i mean if you look at their first film came out in 97 they didn't do captain america until 2014 that's 17 years of filmmaking as directors compare it to nia who her first film, she did short films starting 2009. Her first large production film was 2018. So she's been filmmaking for, you know, Marvels came out in 2023. That's five years. Three films. Two films, if you want to, you know, really go up to it. Two films before being handed the Marvels with an enormous goddamn budget. Like, what was the budget? 200 plus million on this thing? She gets handed the reins of a film with a budget of $270 million. In my mind, this is like saying, hey, you're 16. You just got your learner's permit. Here's the key to the Lambo. Uh, no, no. You, here's Try the not to run it into the ground, okay? Yeah. Here's the keys to the shitty Honda Accord. You're going to drive that for a year or two before we let you get into a must like behind the wheel of a Mustang. But that's the thing. It's like these directors, it's woke casting. It's not hiring them based on their merits. It's Whoa. hiring them based on diversity check boxes. And because it's basically the company, first of all, pandering to whatever demographic they're trying to get. And it's also creating this shield that they can use when the movie sucks, they can just blame everybody else. It's like, well, you don't like this. Just because it was directed by a diverse woman. It's like, no, it's because it's shit. Yeah. That's why that's... I don't like it. And so coming up in the MCU, we've got two more films of phase five, Deadpool three, which is still filming and the Captain America brave new world. And I heard that the Captain America one, they're reshooting some like 80% of it because of how bad it was in screenings. And they're basically doing a full rewrite i have no idea if it has anything to do with the whole kang pivot but well apparently... again so julius anna is the director guess how many films he's he's got under his belt 
before doing one America. I'd say one. Three. Okay. He's got three films under his belt. Uh, let's see. The Girl's in Trouble, The Cloverfield Paradox, and uh, Loose. And that's it. That's his total filmography. Now, his first film was in 2015, so there's a 10-year gap between his first film and when Captain America is supposed to... But again, you're handing the, the keys to the, you know, the NASCAR 850 horsepower monster to the person who's behind the wheel, been behind the wheel for like a month and a half. And I don't want to see the Falcon as Captain America. I, I, to me, it's just not interesting. He's a regular human. No extra superpowers. Yeah. And the, like the two things don't go together. Even the wings and the shield. It's kind of weird and clunky. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. See, I kind of wish you set things up with Bucky. Yeah, I kind of wished that they had at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he passed the the wings down to the next Falcon, took the super super shoulder soldier shot, and accepted the shield as Captain America. That would be better if he but got with the Bucky superhero as serum. His, his sidekick. The two of them stepping forward, so better than U.S. Agent. Because it's not that he's a good soldier, but he's a good man. Because that's what they were trying to establish was that, you know, Sam isn't just, he, he's he's a good soldier, but he's a better man. Whereas... Did you ever read the Ed Brubaker? I did. Death of Captain America and all that? Yeah. That was such a great storyline. And I thought Bucky as Captain America is sort of like a darker... Captain America, because he's because he's trying to hunt down who killed Captain America. Yeah, essentially. but it's also and Falcon was still the sidekick. The two of them worked really well together. They in did, that comic but again, series. the problem is, is Bucky's a great soldier, but is he a good man? He's, and that's what was fun with it. And he's, the fact he's that a the lot costume even went dark. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I would prefer seeing that flipped, where you know Sam is the is Captain America, where so he's a better man than he is soldier, but he's being backed up by Bucky who is a far better soldier and is willing to make those morally questionable, you know, decisions without hesitating. See, I'm opposite. I want to see Bucky be Captain America because, and he's struggling with it. Whereas Captain America was that guy. Mm -hmm. And Bucky is fighting with all the demons and shadows and trying to do the right thing. Then the Falcon could be his compass. He's his Jiminy cricket. Exactly. It would be so good. Is kind of keeping him on the straight and narrow path. It's like, hey, no, we can't go around killing everyone because you're Captain America now, dude. Like, yeah. So it's know. just, I've been now, I think we're supposed to get a couple more series after Loki. We've got What If, which is coming out at the end of this year, which one of the episodes was supposed to be part of What If season one, but they didn't do it. Um, so we've got that coming out. We've got Echo, which is Disney Plus's first R rated. Uh, Marvel series. Which... I watched the trailer for that, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I think the tr- the whole show is going to be trash. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it, but um, I wasn't as offended as I thought I'd be by the trailer. Now we still have. I just can't believe what they've done with Daredevil and Kingpin, and like, yeah. Oh, it makes me so sad. Netflix but, had such a good thing going, but now we've got Agatha Darkhold Diaries. It's supposed to be coming late 2024. But who knows when that is? And then on the TBA, they have Ironheart and Daredevil: Born Again. 
Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I really, I really don't. I. And then Sony dropped the trailer for Madam Web. Did you see that? Oh my God! So let's let's talk about Madam Web. Uh, this is obviously not like the cinematic universe. Um, this is is something something much much different. Um, so this is a film. Uh, who's the? Uh, I'm just trying to think. The director, S. J. Clarkson. Um, which again, um, but the difference I think between S.J. Clarkson and Nia DaCosta, S.J. Clarkson has been working in television since 1999. She has a gargantuan amount of credits under her belt as a director. Um, and trailer still looks like crap though. The thing is, is she has directed a wide variety of things. She's done things like Ugly Betty. She did, worked on Jessica Jones, um, you know, EastEnders, stuff like that. Like she's she's directed enough variety of different projects, of different tone of projects, that as bad as the writing's going to be on Madam Web, I think she's going to be able to do something with it. Now, the downside is the whole storyline of Madam Web. And I hate all this multiple spider stuff. We talked that about that with the whole into the spider verse. Oh yeah. But so we have two different you make everybody spider man. It's like Incredibles when everybody's special, nobody's special. Yeah. Well, this one, according to this, we've got at least two different spider women. We've also got uh, a Spanish um, spider woman, um, which is like the I think they the caller uh, Arana, which is like. Um, you know, Spanish for spider. Um, and then we have, um, they have a, uh, undisclosed roles, but we also have Ezekiel Sims, who is, he's been in Spider-Man books, but I just, I, this feels this like- a I mean, dumb character. It's like this evil spider totem person. Yeah. So I, this is all part of the spy, the Sony spider universe, which includes Morbius, by the way. It's Morbin time. Um, so and Craven and Venom. Yeah. Right? And it just feels terrible. Really does. And what I would like to see for Madam Web is from the actual comic books. Spider-Man 210, where it's an old lady who's in a wheelchair and has this weird spider web thing behind her and she's blind. Yeah. But she can see the future. Well, it's not Why just not do that. Yeah, not just see the future. She, she can, you know, by, by her web, um, she's in in basically knows what's going on around her, um, and she's the one that you know made the best version of Peter Parker when she uh, at one point turned him into a spider and then he popped out of a cocoon fully healed. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is the whole spider totems bullshit. Um, when I saw the the trailer for this there's really nothing that jumped out as like ooh, this will be exciting it jumped out as wow it looks like this is morbius too um yeah and if for, for our listeners morbius is a terrible fucking movie like just 
it's a giant waste of time, money, talent, opportunity. That one even had a decent trailer. Oh yeah. I never watched the movie, but but still the trailer was kind of okay. Yeah. But again, just just horrifically horrible. I, I, and I, Sony has this problem where they're trying to make these movies on all these side characters. But they're not the point. Spider Man. No, they're, the they're not. I don't. Pick they're up supporting a... cast for Spider Man. Yeah, so I, put Spider Man in it if you want to do it. Yeah, I've yet to pick up a Spider Man comic going. Ooh, I hope Ben Riley's in here. <laughs> I hope this is a story about Betty Brant. I'd much rather read Miles Morales. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, if I want to read Miles Morales, I'll pick up his comic book. But I'm I'm not picking up the Incredible Hulk going. Oh, I hope this is a Rick Baker episode, like a Rick Baker, you know, issue. It's it no, that's that's a Rick Jones. That's a Rick Jones issue. No, you 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 pick up the the Incredible Hulk because you want to read about Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk, not about pedestrian number three. <laughs> it's yeah. So I'm going to switch some gears here. Um, All right, Invincible season two has been coming out on Amazon Prime. Uh, we've got three episodes in. How is it? So far, it's pretty good. The first episode, it's kind of like, so at the end of the first season, Omni-Man, after beating the absolute shit out of his son, flies off. You know, kind of realizes, all right, this isn't this isn't who I am. This isn't who I'm supposed to be. And he leaves Earth. Now, um, the, the whole thing starts with an alternate, you start on an alternate Earth where, Omni Man and Mark have taken Omni Man and Invincible have taken over the Earth. And you're like, what the fuck? I thought Omni Man left. He came back, and Mark's not. And they were like, oh, we're in an alternate Earth. Okay, okay, okay. And in the second episode, um, we kind of get a little bit more into what's going on with Mark. He's going to college. Um, there's a stowaway Martian who's looking for the other Martian that Omni Man killed. Um, shit like that. But this third episode, this third episode, it basically starts off with um, Mark and his girlfriend about to have sex, and the narrator is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's just give Mark and and his and, and his girl some, some space. Let's uh, let's go see uh, the alien, um, voiced by by uh, Seth Rogen, and you know what's going on there. So we get flashbacks about the 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 Vertramites. I can't. I call them the Vegemites. Um, they really do. Basically, the Vegemites attacking the alien world, and they keep they're really good at persevering, so they keep growing new versions using you know, biological engineering to make what hopefully is a hero who can fight against the Vegemites. I know they're Vertramites or whatever they're called. Um, and he ends up being strong and powerful, but still not as strong and powerful as them. So he joins this collective of people who are all like different races who are all like under the, you know, the threat of the Vegemites. Um, and we follow him for a bit. And then three of them show up and proceed to kick the shit out of like rip his arm off and punch their arm right through his body and pop his eyeball out. Um, and because they want to know about earth because he had, in season one had accidentally gone to earth and not you earth where he was supposed to go. And he met up with Mark and he's like, I met a, a hybrid, a half and half who's actually sympathetic to our cause. He doesn't like his dad. Uh, he's willing to fight against them. 
And they're like, oh, well, this sounds great. So these three Vegemites show up, beat the shit him because they want information. He refuses to talk. So they leave him for dead. Um, and then you find out that the leader of this whole coalition has been working with the Vegemites because he kind of like flicks the power off and lets them die. Um, and so we kind of go back to Earth, but, you know, Mark and his girlfriend aren't quite done yet. So the narrator's like, whoa, let's go over here. And we see Mark's mom and she's in a, a, a superhero spouse help group trying to cope with things. And it turns out the other spouses are the spouses of the dead guardians who Omni-Man killed. Meanwhile, she's like crying that, you know, well, you know, my husband's gone. And they're like, oh, that's so bad. And then she finally admits to one, yeah, my husband killed your wife. And he's like, you shouldn't come back to group. It's not a safe space for us with you there. Because your husband's not dead. He could come back. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where it's season, like that's where episode three has ended. And this already, the level of writing is far above what, I, what you're seeing in Disney+. Plus. Um, so I'm having a good time with it. It's It's pretty good so far. And it's the first time we had the narrator like, whoa, let's pull you. <laughs> Normally they're like, we'll show anything. That's fine. Whatever. Pop eyeballs. Check. Lots of blood. Absolutely. But it was like sex. Okay. Whoa. Let's, let's hook a finger on the camera here and pull you over here somewhere and let them do their thing. Cause it's going to happen. But uh, let's uh, keep the camera rolling sort of thing. Um, and the, the, actually the whole thing ends with, Mark gets contracted by or contacted by an alien race that says, we need you to come destroy some meteors. Uh, billions of people are going to die. Mark's like, all right. They get there, and it turns out their supreme leader is Omni-Man. And that's that's the credits right there. So it'd be interesting to see, do they fight on the planet? Does Mark go home? What goes on? Already more tension than we've seen out of, than out of Disney+. Plus. <laughs> so, Yeah. If you haven't watched it, I still recommend watching the series. It's it is good. the The writing is really sharp. Shit has consequences. I'll try a couple more episodes. All right. Yeah, Invincible was never quite my thing. I like the idea of it. I like that it's a new superhero. I like how it's kind of taking the whole superhero genre, kind of going meta with it. Mm -hmm. I do get tired of the evil Superman trope, and I do get tired with the excessive violence in the superhero comic like that, where they play that up more than the well, actual I, story. I, I like my Spider-Man. Like, Superman punches someone and leaves like a human cutout uh, on the wall, sort of bullshit. Yeah. Or, you know, it's it's like the the, the Superman video game the, the where, oh, you land on the street and a thug run, runs up and Superman has to block his punch and takes a little bit of damage. How? <laughs> I mean, if Superman were to really punch someone in real life, it, they would just turn into a fine red mist as, you know, their bodies accelerated past the point of staying cohesive. They, Has there ever been a good Superman video game? I can't really no. think of it. I, no. I've played Superman video games before. I have. But oh, Superman 64 no. and Nintendo 64 is like the most horrible game. Um, but the problem with playing like a Superman game is, again, you've got a character who is... That's what you were talking about. It's God. God. Like yeah. you're on God, like you're not even on God mode, but you're on God mode. Like your street thug who runs up and hits you with a two by four, even if it's got a nail in it, you shouldn't take any damage. But that would be damage. such a fun game. Like it would almost be like one of those. Um, it's more like a game where there's a countdown timer, 
and you have to do all the things or else everybody dies. It's yeah. like, oh, I have to fly here and save that person and fly here and do well, this thing and fly a, there. There's a great um com quote from from Superman in, in one of the cartoons that he feels like he's living in a world of smoke. He always has to pull his pull back his power for everything. To him, like a building is like it's like made out of smoke. It takes no effort for him to fly through it. Like zero effort. Like as much effort it takes us to walk through a fog bank is him walking through buildings or flying through buildings. So he's always has to hold himself back. And I think it was when he was fighting Darkseid the first time. And he's like, but you can take it, can't you, big man? And he, this, he the fighting Darkseid was a chance for him to finally let loose and just see just how strong he really was. And it was such a great quote. I mean, I think whoever wrote that, you know, they they got to be given an award or something. Because in essence, for Superman, that's what life is like. You're living in a world of cardboard and smoke. Imagine that for a video game, okay? A Superman video game where you go to open the door and you actually just break the building. Well, I mean, for, I think the closest is Hulk Ultimate Destruction on the, the, the Wii where you were meant to destroy everything. And you, you could, honestly could. You could level the city to the point where there were no buildings, no nothing. You just had to hit them hard enough and long enough you were destroying buildings. You were whipping around cars. Just running down the street and cars are flipping out of your way, left and right. The, you're not even really touching them. You're not like you're pressing the attack button. You're just dashing. And everything's getting knocked out of it, out of your way. Or cars would suddenly explode around you and kill people around because you just passed by at high speed. And you your hit might have brushed like the, the front fender. And that car's like in Nebraska now. Um, or orbiting the moon because you've launched it so far. So that'd be the closest I could see to it. We're just, you know, just existing and things get destroyed. I mean, but yeah, a game like that would be fun, but for how long? Like five minutes? You'd have to find a hook to make yeah, it. Yeah, there'd have to be a really, really strong hook. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. But oh, then the last thing I did between our our last podcast is I watched Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. It was it was on Peacock or Paramount. Oh, it was on Paramount, and uh, I wish Gavin was here. I, I would love to discuss this with him. Um, I have a feeling I know what you think. What did you right. think, Trevor? Um, there were some G one designs. I'll give it that. Barely, barely. But what a steaming pile of crap! Um, there were just so many things like, um, so. I, there were questions I had right off the bat. So <laughs> Prime and, his, and the associates were already on Earth. Now, we, the movie starts off with Primal and his gang using the transwarp key MacGuffin and going to Earth. But somehow Prime and Bumblebee and Mirage and all, all the, the, you know, the usual gang of idiots, they're already on Earth. Why? Reasons. Never told, just reasons. And we're told that the movie takes place in 1994. So before the the pre LaBeouf era, but not and but so the movie Bumblebee has already happened. That's why Bumblebee's around. But how come Prime and the other ones are still there? Or how did they get there? Or why the fuck are they on Earth to begin with? Never explained. Now Michael Bay was part of the executive production for this movie, so in theory, this is part of the the Bay universe. You know the Bay Formers. So. The other thing is, is 
didn't Bay and company already do some sort of like space warp portal and a planet in orbit around Earth? Wasn't that like three dark side of the moon where the I didn't watch any of these Transformers. The movies. other prime showed up and had like these space keys that could make a portal back to Cybertron. And it turns out he's working with Megatron anyway and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, there's already been a, a MacGuffin for teleporting things long distances. So I watched the film and I was like, well, fuck, this movie could use a rewrite. So me being me, that's what I did. Um, so the movie takes place in 1994. Leave that the same. Okay. You, you, you could even still have the primals and their whatever their fucking MacGuffin is, the, the transwarp dildo, whatever it is. Um, but you can cut to another kind of like a pre-cut scene sort of thing of Prime and company um, have fled Cybertron to a moon base so that they can rearm, re-equip, saying how, you know, they're losing the, they're losing the war. Even with the disappearance of Megatron, they're still losing because the Decepticons outnumber them. They've got to find a way to refill the ranks. Unicron shows up, begins munching on the moon. So Prime and company have to leave. Um, and so they... What moon? Would this be the Cybertron moon or would this no, be Earth moon? No, just another moon outside of... Say, maybe a planet out just outside of the system of Cybertron that they just happen to be there. That's a moon that they, they have set up as a base and Unicron shows up and starts eating the moon. This is where Scourge and Prime first fight. And this is where we learn that Scourge likes to take, you know, trophies from all his kills. Prime and company. I even thought that was dumb, but yeah, I, I, what it's, um, so at this point they use like whatever emergency transport system to try to get them back to Cybertron, but with Unicron eating the moon, the system goes haywire and just sends them randomly out. Um, so they go into low recharge mode or whatever. Um, anyway. Um, on the moon as it's being eaten Scourge says that you know something to the effect of he still wants Prime's head Um, he doesn't you know he's not going to take them getting away as a, a loss or a defeat Um, but he knows that Prime knows the location of Cybertron something Unicron desperately wants Unicron wants Cybertron because it, it basically it's like a, a giant fucking bouquet, uh, buffet table for, for Unicron um, not a whole lot of having to turn dirt into something if you eat. It's all metal anyway. So still do the whole thing with the the chick finds the half the thingy in the the maximals, whatnot, triggers the MacGuffin. Um this alerts Bumblebee, who's still on Earth from the first movie, and he sends the signal up to Optimus and crew. They come out of low hibernation, they show up. Um, because this is possibly a way back to Cybertron. Scourge and the sweeps are also alerted. They head to Earth. Museum fight as it happens. Um, Elena says, hey, well, the artifact came from somewhere in Peru. Let's go to Peru. Because why not? It's a better looking location. Uh, the big Peru fight. This is where the Autobots meet the Maximals. And they all get their asses kicked by Unicron's forces, who then take possession of the MacGuffin. I'm just going to keep calling the MacGuffin because I it, it it was such a dumb thing. 
Um, so Mirage can sacrifice himself to save Diaz, who um, uses a scavenged arm cannon. Not a whole goddamn suit of armor out of fucking nowhere. Just kind of pulls Mirage's arm off. I hated jer- Mirage as a character in this movie. Oh, I wasn't... It was such movie. trash. And I hate the idea that these Transformers can just alter shapes into anything at any time. And that whole armored suit, that See, pissed me off so much. I would get rid of it entirely. Just have Mirage, you know, takes the shot that would have killed Diaz. Diaz, man, and, you know, arms sever whatnot. Diaz sees the arm and is able to jury rig enough power to it to convert it into weapon mode. And it kind of has to stand there and fire it like a, you know, goddamn cannon that keeps sliding him back the thing until Prime can get into the fight. Not gets a goddamn mystical suit of Transformer armor. Uh, so he, Prime, and Primal end up taking down Scourge. Yay. Um, Elena, the, the chick, figures out how to use the transwarp key. At this point, Unicron is shown up outside of Earth because he, it's being pulled, like, Scourge in the group and said, hey, come here. Prime's here. You, we can get the code from him to get to Cybertron. She uses the MacGuffin to throw uh, Unicron to the other end of the known galaxy. Um. But before she does that, um, Prime and crew say, you know, we have to stop Unicron somehow, you know, because reasons. So they leave Bumblebee behind. They're like, B, you've got to stay here and go back to your original mission and find Megatron. This is where we find out that B was sent to Earth to find Megatron. B is one, you know, he's a premier warrior, but he's also one of their best scouts. So... Optimus and and crew get shifted to you know Cybertron or wherever the fuck they want to go. The Maximals go with them. So the only Autobot on the Earth is Bumblebee, who's still looking for Megatron. Kind of setting up, you know, the first Transformer Bay movie where Bumblebee's the only Autobot on Earth and calls the rest of them back down again, and Megatron's been revived and go on and so forth. But and at the very end, Diaz is not recruited by fucking G.I. Joe. Diaz is recruited by Sector 7 because he's had direct contact with alien life. So you even get John Turturro to show up who recruit, and you can even de-age his face if you have to. He recruits Diaz into Sector 7. That brings it full circle. So you could honestly slip this movie right in between Bumblebee and the first Transformers movie that came out in like what 2007 or something like that, this movie would slide right in and all the continuity would fit. Diaz is now part of Sector 7. This is why Bumblebee's the only Autobot on the Earth when the other ones get called down again because he found the AllSpark. He found what Megatron was searching for, which was the AllSpark, and then you carry on and so on and so forth. Instead, fucking G.I. Joe shows up. And Prime and the Maximals are on Earth in 1994, but mysteriously, somehow they all leave, leaving Bumblebee behind for unexplained reasons, and then all have to come back. I think my version explains why they would leave and why they would leave Bumblebee behind to keep looking for Megatron. I would just do a hard reboot. I know Gavin will complain. He's like, you don't like anything unless it's G1. It's like, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't. But G1 was actually really cool. The cartoon was cool. Those original designs. And all these toys that they make now. Like, I mean, 
Jeez. Like power glide. Look at that. That's freaking awesome. That's, a go-bot. That's awesome. Right? That's a jazz. Go-bot. That's my jazz. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Like that's what I want. Not all this crap that they keep giving us. And <laughs> it's like just just do the damn thing right. Transformers is one of my favorite things of all time. And geez, what did you think of Optimus Prime in that movie? Because I thought he was trash. I, I didn't like the design. I really didn't. And I didn't like his attitude. He seemed like a sniveling little weak <laughs> fucker. Like, one of my favorite things is when Peter Cullen got the job it's, and he told his brother, who was in the military, I'm yeah. going to be a truck. No, <laughs> not just a truck. I'm going to be a leader truck. And he said, be strong enough to be gentle. Yeah. And he took that to heart. It's like, yeah. You know, that's the kind of leader you want to be, not just one that's yelling and being crazy. Is no, like I'm strong enough to be a gentle hero. Yeah. And I didn't see that in this movie. Well, I'm I, losing my voice. I've been losing it every night. <laughs> just just it's the rage. For uh, me, I think with Disney's trend of taking all of their animated properties and making live action fucking versions of them, Bay and Company should take the 1986 Transformers the movie shot for shot fucking remake do it all CG go you know that'll look good that already has a good story you've got the death of Prime the rise I mean as shitty as Rodimus Prime is at least you got something that you can get behind you got good use the original fucking soundtrack Rodimus Prime is still better than anything in the Bay former universe yeah but you still got a good enough soundtrack so not a whole lot of reworking there needed you got people who would climb out of the fucking woodwork have told, hey, we're going to take Transformers the movie, the animated one from 86, we'll do it all in CG. Do it justice. People would be lined up around the fucking block, A, to work on it, and B, to pay to go see it. Hell, I would buy tickets for my family. Everybody, you're coming to see it. I don't know what the story is. I don't care. You're going to be meeting the seat so the tickets can go for the box office. And here's a fun fact. I have an MP3 usb drive that i stick into the car all the time and i put a whole bunch of music from transformers the movie on it and my kids will sing it oh like you know we go to a hockey game there and the touch and... yeah nothing's gonna stand in our way <laughs> all that kind of stuff it, like it holds up it's multi-generational it like as corny as some of it can be oh and there's a heart corny. to it it's like yeah. knight rider there's a heart to it. You can uh, talk about how corny and cheesy it is, but it's good. It's actually good. I, I don't know. Unlike all this uh, modern claptrap. Yeah, yeah, Rise uh. of the I'm just going to say, Rise of the Beasts. If someone says, "Hey, you want to watch Transformer: Rise of the Beasts?" Do yourself a favor and punch them in the face and say no. Like I said, I was going to walk out of the theater and I was watching it on an airplane. Yeah. Um. The, 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 it'd be like, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Did he take a parachute? Yes. <laughs> What's the name? So, CB Cooper? Whatever. Yeah, DB Cooper. DB Cooper. Yeah. You need DB to Cooper out of there. All those, all, all those millions. Um, so yeah, so that was pretty much my week of 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 media. Um, but now I've got Thanksgiving around the corner here in the US, so I'm not sure what's gonna happen there. We are still planning to see Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> It's on Paramount. Or is it Paramount? No. I know you can stream it, but I want yeah. the theater experience for it. And especially for the boys, because they've been such huge fans of that video game. <laughs> so to have a movie experience, like a proper 
because there's nothing to see in the theaters anymore. There's not. I, so, I was just at, as an excuse to go for the experience. I, I was. I've been looking at the list of movies that are coming yet to come out, um, and I, I have the list right here again. And there's really like we're we're into November, and I'm like, oh, and there's uh, um, and uh, and it's a lot of that. Like I just. Each one, like, no, I, I, and my, for me, my pr- thought process is A, how much do I want to spend, especially if it's the whole family? And B, does it really need to be on a big screen or is the, the, the TV I have in the next room good enough? Yep. Um, I might take the, I mean, I, I know the kids will probably want to go see like the, what is it, Trolls Band to get, was it Band to get? Yeah, Trolls Band together because I set the first two trolls in films and they liked in the theaters and they liked it. And I honestly don't care. I can just like, pew. Um, but other than that, I, I was like, is there anything, anything coming out in the rest of November or December that would require a, a, a big screen? Good Burger 2 doesn't qualify. Um, and, 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 and there's like, I know there's the, there's the Disney one coming up, Wish, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Um, there's no way in hell I'm watching that. Uh, maybe I'll send Mare and the girls. Um, the only thing I can think of that I'd want to see, but again, can I not just watch a home would be Silent Night? Joel Kinnaman. That's one. And I I think that's probably one that I would be happy to see at home. Um, I, I would I happily do want to see, see it at it home, home, but I don't know if I would pay to see it in the theater. Right. Um and like like Willy Wonka? No. No, I like Timothy Chalamet did not impress me in Dune. Honestly. A two by four with a, a scowly face on it and all e- like an emo hair wig glued to the top of it would have done a better acting job than he did in that film. Um, so I can't see him doing wonders in Wonka. Um, Rebel Moon's going to be on Netflix. So that's going to be at home anyway. Um, but that one looks like a lot of, hey, we just stole a bunch of tropes from other sci-fi movies anyway. Because um, that's how, uh, you know, Zack Snyder rolls. Um but yeah, so I was looking through it. And I'm like, oh, oh, there is nothing, nothing on the list between now and the end of the new year that I'm like, hey, I got to see this in the theaters. Nah, not a goddamn thing. So I don't think any of these 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 movies are getting my box office money. I'll wait for streaming. And that's sad. That's really sad. like I remember last year there were lots of films. I was like, oh, I'd like to see this in theater. I'd like to see that in theater there's nothing and that's that's disheartening i know people can say oh well covid has has put a gap in the movie productions and then the writers guild strike and then sag strike and you can only point blame so much before you finally have to you know was it every time you stick your finger out to point blame at someone you've got three fingers pointing back at you (laughs) um and yeah i mean i think after a while, some of these studios have to start realizing that, you know, you point the finger at the fans saying, you're not going to see my movie. Well, look at the other three fingers who they're pointing at. That'll tell you why. And I think you have to look at the way movies used to be made and the way Hollywood used to be. You know, it would be you just have some executives who just want to make some money mm-hmm. and you have some directors who are a little bit out of their mind, who have these crazy ideas and they want to bring it to life. It, yeah. 
it's not pushing agendas. It's just like, I have a crazy idea. I have some money. Will I get more money? Let's uh, go together yeah, let's and try see. It. Yeah. Or they're like, hey, I've got this this toy. Or I have this idea for this movie. Could we make a toy from it? More than likely. Then let's do that and make some, some money off the merchandising as well. Tell your yeah. story. I don't give a shit what your story is. As long as it's good enough to put meat in the seats and, and make kids want to buy the toys. Good. Because that lets the creatives be creative. Yeah. You can try some crazy stuff. It's not pushing an agenda. And if it works, everybody makes money. Well, And a lot of people get entertained. Well, there was that whole thing with movie critics. Like, if they were so good, you know, if they were such great filmmakers, why aren't they making these great films anyway? That all they can do is critique other people and point out the flaws. Which in some ways is kind of true. Like, if if you're going to make that great film... Or if you feel you can make that that film better, or you can make the better film, then go out and do it. But the problem is now is you have these different studio execs who are like, yeah, I'm, I am I can't make a good movie. But it's almost like they're like, but I'm going to make sure no one else can make one too. Or I have an idea for a story and everyone's like, that's terrible. Yeah, but now I'm in a position to push this shit and get it done my way. But what's interesting now is a lot of these YouTube commentators, like uh, Eric July, Ripaverse, perfect example. He was critiquing all these things, comic books and stuff, for so long. And it's like, screw it. I'm going to make my own. He made the Ripaverse with Isom. So he's two comics with that. And now AlphaCore. He's made something like $7 million yeah. on his comic books. Yeah. After a while, you you know, you can only keep getting served like plates of shit before you're like, you know what? I'm going to go in the kitchen and try something. I, I got it. I got to do something. And sadly, as I said, like, we just keep getting fed bowl after bowl of this shit and it's it's saddening it really is and the thing is is the part that kills me is is this whole intention that you have to reinvent the wheel every time it's like oh i got this character well i'm going to reinvent the wheel i just use the name and invent everything else behind it it's like okay then why bother it's gotten to the point where all these people that are doing the commentary on all these things and critiquing it they're starting to step up because it's like everyone's doing it so badly. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. You know, even a Daily Wire. Did you see that thing they did with Snow White? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the Disney diverse people and you know, the dark complexion Snow White, which goes completely against the character. You know, the fact is like, no, we'll just do our own. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, all these other, like even Critical Drinker. No, he, he's getting into the creative field. No, he put out his comic. He did the Rambo with Sylvester Stallone. And like people are doing this stuff. And at least it's better than the claptrap coming out of Hollywood. And that's that's the part that kills me is, you know, people are, are creating this stuff with minuscule budgets compared to what these these giant tentpole films are are are, be, are working with. And easily creating better content. Again, like, like Five Nights at Freddy's, low budget, big box box office. Yeah, like, like that's going to be way more successful than the Marvels. Yeah, yeah, and that's and the, the fact part... they said they made a movie for the fans. It's like, yeah, huh? How about that? How'd that work for you? Yeah, exactly. Pretty good. See, this is why I'm waiting for for companies like Blizzard or Bioware. I mean, I know there's a, a Fallout series coming out soon, I think, on, on, on Amazon or HBO. 
But I'm waiting for Blizzard to just say, you know what? World of Warcraft has made us how many billions? Let's just slam together some of the cutscenes and weave some stuff between them and fuck it, release it. You know, ignore that Warcraft film that did come out because everyone else did. Um, that was terrible. I um, didn't see it. Oh, you you didn't miss anything. But I, I, in a way, it's like you know, a lot of these video games that are out there or coming out or or you know have already have great storylines to them. It wouldn't take much to package that together. I mean, if someone said, "Hey, HBO is is going to do Red Dead Redemption, season one, ten episodes," my ass would be in that seat watching it every week happily. It's a great story. Some, you know, Fallout. I'm probably, I know, I know they're going to muck it up horribly, but I'll probably end up watching Fallout. The, I think the real issue though is when they say, hey, we're going to take this video game, make a movie or make a series. This is when you get all the Hollywood types come crawling into the woodwork going, hey, we have an agenda to push. This would be a great thing to push it with. And, and I think this is where whoever's holding the creative reins has to be like, fuck off. No, <laughs> we're not pushing your shitty ass message because which we'll is what it. they did with one piece. It's what and look did. at that. Netflix yeah. has a hit show again. But then you flip the coin. Look what they did with Halo. Halo fell apart. First couple of episodes were good. And then they decided, hey, this is our agenda. This is what we're going to push. And it just that last episode was like, wow. Um wow how i didn't watch halo oh i I couldn't do it especially because i worked on the game too so it's like i i don't need this the first as that first couple episodes were good and then it just fell apart rapidly like so and they had good casting they had people who could actually act and they were like fuck it you know we got wet cocktail napkins we can write dialogue on and storylines with and it was just yeah it was like season eight of Game of Thrones. Really was. What um, show I want to watch is Reacher. Yes. yes. I didn't watch the first season, but that second trailer. That second season two. The first 20 seconds so of the, good. the second season trailer with the, you were carjacked. Wait, right here. That was enough to be, a, it's like, I'm, I'm sold. I, yeah. I don't care what the, the the main story is of the season. I'm I'm I was sold in the first season. Like they had this whole sequence where that he gets tossed in jail, and he like kind of like, you know, these guys come in, start bullying his cellmate. And he just kind of slides off the side and they hey look at this guy, look what he's trying to and yeah, elbow or first it was a headbutt and a couple of elbows to the side of the head while heads pressed against the upper metal bunk and, and he's like you take this trash out of my cell. And you owe me a pair of glasses. And it was like, all right, I'm sold. I'll watch this. This is great. So yeah, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting season two of Reacher. And I don't know if this is in the books at all, but I like how they channeled the Jocko Willink. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, they're coming to kill us. Good. Yeah. Well, it's funny if you like I've read a couple of the Reacher books, and there's this whole interview with the the author talking about like um describe reacher's fighting style he's like it's like a chainsaw thrown into a crowded room that's pretty much his fighting style it's not pretty it's not elegant there's a lot of four like a lot of elbows thrown a lot of headbutts but it's effective because the guy's a walking mountain he's huge he's very muscular he's a stupidly strong and yeah it's when you throw him in a crowd of people 
there's a lot of people who are going to get hurt. And he doesn't walk away like, you know, like, like completely unscathed. You know, he's got like, he's cut over the eyebrow. He might have a broken finger. It's just part of the job for him. And yeah, the books read out the same way. And the show, I mean, ignoring the Tom Cruise Reacher films, these play out the same way. There's the, that's why when I first saw the first Tom Cruise Reacher film, I'm like, wow, he's like half the size he's supposed to be like half so when i first saw the first trailer for the first season of reacher and you see him and he's like almost like a full head taller than most people like oh yeah okay they they got the right guy yeah you know and like why is he wearing cuffs he was too big to wear them so they have been zip ties and they're like we'll cut him and he just like wait a second snap you recycle so yeah it's a fun series so now should we try our collective goodbye i think we can try that all right ready Power stable. Okay, ready? Collective goodbye. I think we did it. All right. If you've been listening to this podcast, thank you. Um, surprised you got all the way to the end. Surprised we got all the way to the end. And if you haven't been listening, well, then you won't hear this anyway. Yeah, so Mike can go back to sleep and, and, and I can go to bed. And then, yeah, tomorrow is another day. And that's words to live by. Good night, folks. You have just been listening to Geeking Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, and review. You can follow us on our social medias at Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On X, former Twitter, Instagram, search for Planet Geek Pod. You can also send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bat time, same spider channel, the truth is out there. So say we all. Guess have some. May the force be with you. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs>